This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio. Hello and welcome to the Work Podcast. I'm Kathy Taylor, U.S. Commissioning Editor for Work. And I'm really thrilled to have our guest today. If you don't know her, Anna Angelic is a brand executive. She's author of The Business of Aspiration, and she was also named one of the world's most influential CMOs by Forbes. Anna specializes in building brand-driven modern businesses, and she's also earned her doctorate in sociology. She was most recently the chief brand officer at Banana Republic, leading a successful brand turnaround. You can also subscribe to her newsletter, The Sociology of Business, which taps into a lot of the things that interest her, including the topic of the work article we're going to discuss on the podcast today, which is targeting taste communities. So we recently published a piece of yours on work about targeting taste communities. And in that, you argue that communities and not individuals are the new unit of marketing. And I'd love for you to walk us through your reasoning about that. I wrote that piece. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Kathy. So I'm really delighted for this conversation. And uh, I wrote that piece a couple of years ago, actually, originally. I think it was in the fall of 2019. And this is relevant because the piece has gained popularity recently as uh, I believe the marketing has moved more towards thinking about not how to reach an individual person through targeting and especially with changes with third-party cookies towards figuring out the ways how to create a loyalty program, a membership program, how to target the entire community and conversations that are already happening there and that I believe in the past couple of years has been happening a lot on TikTok, a lot on Instagram, especially how those platforms operate is that they are basically emphasizing the social connect, the social graph that people have rather than individuals which was more web 1.0 if I may say so I think it always like takes a little bit for marketing to catch up which is not a bad thing but I think that is what I have uh, been seeing and that uh, what more brands have been seeing since and so that's really interesting that this goes back a few years and you know one thing we've noticed at work of course is a lot of uh, fear and paranoia about the demise of the third party cookie. But I mean, to your view, since it also um, talks about in the piece about how deeply flawed psychographics are, is this sort of a good thing that we're moving on from from that world? I do believe so. It may not sound so if you have a multi-billion dollar business that relies on a third party cookie. But again, it's it's that cost-benefit analysis in terms of how are you forced to innovate, how are you forced to figure out new ways to connect with your customers and really bring your customers in your brand that in the long run may be or will be a more valuable for your business. Because when you think about third-party cookie and retargeting, you 
you get the least valuable customers. That means that shifts your entire marketing strategy towards not quality acquisition, but more awareness and, and, and then quick conversion. And that quick conversion is usually defined by either promotions or sales. Basically, you create an ecosystem where decision-making is based on getting the best deal. And that is like how people search for a pair of pants or a sweater, and they're like different places offering different ones and you go and everything becomes a commodity because you buy based on price. So this is probably a blessing in disguise for a lot of brands to invest in their brand strength, in their brand building, because at the end of the day, your valuable customers are those who make repeat purchases. And those who tell their communities and word of mouth, which goes back to those taste communities, and for a brand to create itself a taste community of people who identify with a specific point of view and aesthetics and and what the brand purpose and mission, what it stands for. And that is a harder thing to do, but it's more durable thing to do. Because otherwise, if you're a commodity, you just spend money. As long as you spend money, you get traffic. You don't get conversion, you get traffic. Yeah, that, no, that makes that makes sense. I mean, I always think of the red couches that were stalking me when I was looking for a red couch. And it really didn't do much, you know, in terms of my, my thoughts about those brands or anything even remotely like that. So... I think as consumers, we'll be sort of glad when this is, you know, not a habit anymore. I mean, so one thing that um, I was kind of intrigued about, about this piece is, of course, marketers have been targeting forever in some forms. And, you know, brand awareness is more based on, you know, demographics on TV going back, you know, going back years and all that kind of thing. But what makes a community different than a target market? Target market is based, as you said, is demographics. And obviously, if like when I worked at Havas Media, we had very robust target market, uh, target um, definition of targets. You have their media habits, you have their past purchases, you have what their key retail touch points are and and so on. So you, you can know a lot about those customers. What is missing is emotional, behavioral piece and taste piece, which is not just what people are doing, but also why they're doing that. And that is visible if you move more more towards qualitative analysis. It's like if you combine quantitative analysis, you know if they are more susceptible to word of mouth or, or they pay attention to their friends, they then pay attention to an ad even on a non-linear TV. So that is useful information. But at the same time, target markets don't give you a holistic customer view. It doesn't give you, again, the mood, the taste, that why someone behaved in a way they behaved, because psychology and sociology at the end of the day, we can nail psychology behind it. And you say, hey, if you're like XYZ, you're likely to do XYZ. That is non-exact science for one, because we all do crazy things all the time that are out of our character. And I think instead of putting in a box, 
you actually as a brand need to be sensitive to all those different moods and situations and then influence them and then create those different contexts and settings. So that is one part. The other part that is important here is that basically we are way more influenced by our immediate context, which on social media means those people around us who like our posts, what is in our feed, what is in our TikTok feed, what is in, if you're into metaverse, like that, what NFTs you have, that is the, the ultimate community. Then we are by even a salesperson, like when was the last time you were actually in the store? store to buy something it's like the online even design on the product detail page or or navigation or how you get there it all really is individualized or should at least be individualized to a degree that it hasn't been so far because we don't think of people in terms of taste we don't think in of people in terms of their mood. So now it's easy to talk about it. The question is, how do you operationalize it? Well, actually you can, because there are metrics like brand temperature, which tells you like, yes, I love this brand because I saw someone wearing it, or I don't even think about this brand. So the question when you have that brand temperature and the affinity is basically, do I want to go after people who don't even consider my brand? And how do I first strategically get them to consider the brand and then to love it? So it's a much more strategic conversation when, when you think about it than just having market segments, which is very tactical and executive. I know you talk a lot about Netflix, not only in this piece, but I think in some others I've read of yours. So how does Netflix do things so effectively in terms of uh, doing this this kind of cross-section, I think you said, of micro-communities and micro-genres? So you're taking two types of information and sort of interweaving them, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. What Netflix has done really well, because the business they're in, it's not a content business, it's personalization business, because the entire business model, they spend inordinate amount of time in figuring out how to keep you subscribed, how to keep you watching. So in order to do that, they tag Microtag their content. Every single feature of the content is is like film noir, European. Is it does it have like a main character? What is the age of the main character? What is the sort of subplot? What is the plot? And then you can go really granular and really crazy. It's like oh, it's black and white, or it's in 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 color, or it's like the, it has a sad ending, or it has a happy ending, or it has ambiguous ending. And you tag all those different properties of content and you create micro genres based on that which means that you basically group things that would maybe not be grouped naturally you create a new sort of connections between content because you can say hey drama art art house comedy so on so they're like no 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 maybe it's a comedy but it has like ambiguous endings so that's going to go in a different category it's going to belong to multiple categories which is really key so when you have those micro tagging and those like interconnected features of of the content and you connect with say you and i may have the same taste profile for netflix i'm serbian i moved here 20 years ago 
I grew up completely different than you did, but for some reason, your and my taste in movies is is the same. Or there is someone who is sitting in Korea or someone in Brazil, and, and then basically we share. That's why Netflix stopped targeting based on demographics and stopped targeting based on geography. Start it targeted. If you watch Squid Game, you'll probably want to watch more Korean movies. But at the same time, you will probably want to watch something maybe from 20 years ago that was an American series that was completely for, for, forgotten. And what this sort of way of connecting is, they micro um, break down me my profile based oh she loves this sort of drama she loves foreign movies and but then in those foreign movies last five years or it doesn't matter and then they match my taste profile with those micro genres and that makes me really discover things i would never normally consider just because they moved from where i am who i am and demographics to what my behavior is in terms of those, what I respond well to in terms of those micro tags. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And you also talk in this piece about um, how sometimes people will watch a show because they were talking to their friends, say, about Squid Game. And so they start watching Squid Game because they don't want to be left left out. And I could really, really identify with that experience. I have not watched Squid Game, by the way, but that conversation about what are you watching comes up with friends, uh, acquaintances all the time. So I'd love for you to walk through that whole thing where I may not really like that genre, and yet I'm going to watch it because I need to be part of that social conversation. I think that is uh, as old, that that kind of behavior, human trait is as old as time. So when you think about succession, it's like a month ago it premiered um, season three. I guarantee you that people rewatching season one and two before that, it's like, oh, now we have to catch up because it's like everyone is talking about that. And that sort of social pressure, you won't be like your friends, you want to be part of that. So for me, that is less interesting as a behavior and more interesting as an example how people make decisions so that is where how trends spread because when you see like ag boots 20 years ago and they're back in in you know no one is going to call that beautiful in traditional sense but you wear because your friends wear it so that is sort of how trends uh, spread and that does not rely on one influencer it relies on all of us so all of us basically the time needs to be right for all of us to be susceptible for that particular look for the time needs to be right for us to be susceptible to succession because that defines success or or failure of different shows a lot of shows are amazing but they stay niche just because that idea didn't spread people were maybe they were too ahead of their time for example, or maybe the mm-hmm. culture was about something else. Like maybe it was nostalgic. Why is Squid Game was so, so successful? Because it's so psychological and it was at the right time where we are really questioning are the systems that we are part of, social, economic, cultural. Like so many people, Squid Game to me is inherently connected with the great resignation. People are like, I'm not going to play your game anymore. I want to create my own game. You know, so I think it was like psychologically and sociologically really fit in the current moment where people are opting out of the defined structures and systems. And they're like, I don't want to work at a corporation. It works for you. It doesn't work for me. 
And if it doesn't yeah. work for me, I don't want to be part of that. Yeah, that that's that's fascinating. And also, I was going to ask you just what changes you may have noticed in the power of communities or or what have you during COVID, if you have any thoughts on that, because it's all related. I mean, the Great Resignation is, I think, partly about people just reevaluating their lives now. I think the, the, the best thing or the most impactful thing economically and sociologically and culturally is acceleration towards the metaverse and towards cryptocurrency and blockchain and nfts because in 2021 the conversation around that exploded like cryptocurrency existed for past 10 years if not longer nfts existed for for past four years since crypto punks and so but again going back to that mood and atmosphere in the right context it was too soon for that even now a lot of people don't like don't understand with a good reason that that stuff is very complicated but the time has come because for a number of reasons first like that move towards virtual world towards online but more importantly when you look at millennials and gen z and the debt and the economic system they're coming in they're like forget it i don't want your currency i want to create my own currency and that is why that idea is appealing because an alternative currency where they can actually win the squid game they can actually win they don't need to play by these old economic rules that we established for them in previous generations so that is very important thing in terms of opting out and i believe the second also uh, thing is is just that that native uh metaverses that kids really have they don't have a Warcraft as a destination. It's like you can access it from multiple places or Fortnite or Roblox. So I think that Mm -hmm. is that sort of um, relationship with that technology. So when you think about NFTs and tokens and and blockchain as a technology, it's the same way like 20 years ago when when websites were a new technology or Instagram was a social technology. This is a new technology. And the way the communities are created, this is actually the primer. Because what you have, that piece of code that is immutable, uh-huh. that is that is a digital asset, sure, but it is actually a pass. It's an access to a membership that is almost like a subscription that gives you access to everything that's going to happen in the future in your relationship with that brand. When you think about the board AP Act Club, Yes, you have a rare token yeah. that you can put as your avatar, but more importantly, you get access to the bathroom that online on a graffiti board, and then you have access to the ne- the next releases in private sales, for example, that yeah. other people don't have. So imagine if a brand applied that model for their membership. It's community-based because it immediately connects you with 10,000 others who have those avatars and those who had those special additions and but then also incentivize you to participate in that community because play to earn you can earn points that allow you the next level of unlocking something so there is gamification but it creates a more organic and natural relationship and exchange between brands and people that is not transactional yeah well did you notice that the staples center in la has been renamed the crypto.com arena that's so. impre- i love that i mean i don't know why but <laughs> i mean is that a good thing i i think it's well it's interesting because we've gone from naming it after an office supply you know retail chain to cryptocurrency 
Uh, that's just a very funny cultural moment, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Language matters. Language matters. And I think that the, the, the next thing that's going to happen is that, that we're going to learn how to tell stories in brand like NFTs. NFT is a terrible name. Crypto is a terrible name. You know, you need a good brand around all of that. And I also think that is going to accelerate because you see the best talent, the top developers, the top technologies, the top VCs, they are they're very of centralized platforms and centralized systems because that bait and switch thing really turned a lot of people off because it was like, yeah, build, build it here. And then we're going to take majority of the cut and you're going to do all the work and customers are going to do all the work and audience is going to all the work. Instagram is valuable because all my friends are there and all, and we are creating content nonstop, but Instagram is taking money for that. So I think that is a, crucial difference from centralized to decentralized that we are going to see way more off if you can really own the fruits of your labor and i sound like very communist right now but at the same time this is maybe next next level where you are really your talent and your work is is really rewarded in a way that there is no middleman there is no centralized platform that takes all the money you know yeah yeah that's interesting well just to go back to brands and community a bit. I mean, what, what communities do you think are really valuable for brands to tap into? It's because I think of communities, they're somewhat porous, but they're also can have some real like sort of private aspects to them. So as a brand, how do you create community? How do you tap into existing communities? And what are some of the sort of tactical uh, components of that right now? I think brands have been tapping like good brands. They always started from a very passionate community of fans. You have like soccer fans. So FIFA has incredibly rabid community of people who play fantasy league and collect, um, things now as nfts as well they have conversations they're like you just find like one one passion group and you start from there patagonia started from a fashion group supreme started 20 years ago or, or 25 years ago from from lower east side uh streetwear culture it's like you have telfar uh clement telfar clemens he started from lgbtq plus in downtown new york so Every brand that has a very clear idea who they want to talk to, who, what passion and taste they want to tap into, they have almost embedded a community from a get-go. So now the question is, how do you scale that? Because there is a difference between yeah. a community and the crowd. So what my approach is to have a number of interconnected micro-communities rather than dilute one community by having you know like there needs to be curation no one wants to be a, a part of the club that everyone can join there's just again a human human nature so it's like creating a tiered system of those original members and then everyone else and then again nfts do a great job like crypto native brands like board uh ap act club they do a fantastic job at that because you have insider group and then you have a, like a around it and around it and around it so that is not hard it just takes a different strategy you can't segment people based on how many points they have and you know that makes no sense as airline airline points are crazy i have no idea i'm platinum medallion right now like i i don't know you know like i need mqms i need mqds or i need to spend like two of each or enough money and it's just very economic 
And yeah. really, loyalty is social and it's an emotional. So you're going to make me loyal if you give me the best, best, best experience, if you surprise me, if you delight me in small moments continuously, not if you give me like, oh, now you're diamond and I'm like, that's great. What does that mean? You know? So I think yeah. that is the basis. The community needs to have identity and identity is given through the status in that community, through means, through language that that community uses. That is what separates a true community from the crowd. Yeah, it's like airline miles, purely transactional. There is no language um, around it. There is no brand around it. There is no narrative. You don't feel like you belong to... to, to it, your identity is not... Yes, my identity is Diamond Medallion, but like, who cares? You know, at the end of the day, like, that's I'm not basing my identity. But if I'm part of Board Ape Yacht Club, oh, I'm a cultural pioneer. I'm plugged in. I was, I was like savvy enough to be at the right place at the right time. I have an avatar that shows everyone else that I belong to that exclusive club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, way back when we used to, with the credit cards, it was a big thing to have a gold card, and then everybody has a gold card, and then they name it platinum, and then they name it diamond, and yeah. on and on we go. But Black <laughs> so. Amex is a good example, because, like, you know that Black Amex was an urban myth because before they actually made it? It didn't exist. And but people were like, "Oh, you have you heard about Black, Black Amex? It's like unlimited." And the Amex was like, "That's this is great. We're gonna make one, you know." So Black Amex still means something, but it means that you just have so much money to spend, you know. But you want there are different ways to status signal like that is taste, community belonging, influence, your knowledge, your collectibles, and so on. You talked in in this uh, article about how marketers should focus on four scenarios. And the first one I'd like your take on is think about your brand in the plural. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it's like there is no, like the, the, the era of mass brands is over. It has been over for a long time, if it ever existed. Because like people have always customized the way that they wear things. So that is one part. But what if, like the idea is, like my Netflix is not the same with Lona's Netflix or my husband's Netflix. It's always like, who is watching? And like, we have very different Netflixes. So imagine even in a physical world, if brands are able, like, like what Nike is doing with their sneakers, their NFT thing is basically you create, you customize your own sneakers, you can wear your own sneakers. So that is taken to the extreme. But I do think that eventually that is going to become a part of a production process, because people do want to have what they do is not anymore late, latest, newest, trendiest. It's mine. It's how I, when you see on Depop or Thread Up, people are buying looks from other people. And when you see more, like when you go walk streets, New York, there is no, before it was one trend. Now it's many trends and brands are very slow because they're delivering their own look instead of saying, Hey, we know that this white t-shirt is not the same as 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 your white t-shirt because you wear it completely differently so that leads me to the next point how do you create that many doors into the brand and many doors in mm -hmm. means how do you make the imagery and the aesthetics and just brand behavior and presentation so versatile and flexible that any like a hipster walking down the street can see that, or a, a working mom can see the same thing and, and 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 respond to the same item in two completely different contexts. Yeah, it's like if you take a white T-shirt, for instance, and 
I may wear it uh, over leggings and somebody else, I noticed a big trend recently when I was with a whole bunch of people much younger than myself, that it was all about wearing it more like um, sort of a cropped shirt, you know, like that, that shows your, your navel, which I'm not going to do anymore. Um, and with jeans. So it's the same shirt, but two different contexts. So, I mean, that's the way I was thinking of that whole thing. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great way to look at it. And the second, again, is like how Netflix really promotes their shows. They're changing art for for succession for the no, succession is on hbo sorry so for for example stranger things that's that was an example when you have like people who watch more like a female heroine you're gonna have 11 there people who are fans of the sheriff they're going to be more fans who, who have nostalgia they're going to be like complete ensemble so you basically change ads you change how you market you don't have one image that speaks to everyone you have 55 different images that speaks specifically to my taste so imagine in the domain of the physical brands and physical world like right now it's incredibly complicated because like the supply chains are set in a certain way distribution is set in a certain way but let's imagine a few when you can really change the packaging for people who respond to different things. I want to open a packaging differently from the same brand than you maybe want because it's maybe that if that, that act is more important to me and you just like, oh, just give it to me. Like, I just want a regular package. I mean, at the pertain matches fashion, they're like, oh, just default or you want a fancy one? And I always take fancy because it, it, it doesn't cost any more, but I just want that, you know, thing. And if both are, are sustainable and made of the same material, eco-material, then that's how I'm going to make a decision. But imagine email, newsletters, direct mail, paid social, that all it can be personalized. Like if I got a newsletter from a brand or an email different than yours, I would love that. And brands do that, but they usually don't segment the databases at all. They segment by past purchases. This is a valuable customer. This is a card holder. This is a member. This is a non-member and so on. Instead of being like, no, this person always buys sequins. Let's, let's write an email about sequins. It's more sort of labor intensive, but again, it's just a matter how companies organized. It's, it's, it's a matter of organizational okay. structure. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting insight because so much of how we target seems to be really based on like almost transactional behavior instead of, you know, taste behavior. Exactly, exactly. And then growing through the niches, which I already said, is like adding different micro niches rather than scaling a niche. Because inevitably, if you scale a niche, it's going to get diluted. And then again, going back to Netflix, is like each one of us belongs to multiple Netflix taste communities. The same way I belong to a different fashion community. Sometimes I like street, sometimes I like black tie, sometimes and sometimes I like the mix of all of that. So like it's that recognition that we are not a monolith, like we don't have an unchangeable taste, that based on the mood and on context and the situation influences, we are belong to multiple taste communities. So basically a brand needs to target all of them. Again, back to the example of, of, of yeah. my t-shirt. Yeah, and targeting communities and not individuals. Absolutely. And then we are really communities that we belong to. It's that illusion of, of, of Western philosophy or Western world that we are separate. 
that we are individual, that is like, we are realizing more and more that communal narrative, social narrative. And that's another thing from the pandemic, because the only way to survive was really to put community first. Yeah. And even in a digital environment, really kind of upping those connections in any way that you could, you could make that happen given the circumstances. Absolutely. And I can maybe like something from, from, from Target and buy something from Louis Vuitton and everyone behaves like that. But what am I like fast fashion or am I, you know, luxury? It's all of that. It's all those different taste communities. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense because um, you had a really great example at the beginning of the piece about someone who seems to be this one kind of person, but really they're not that because we're, we're all kind of falling into different, different aspects of community and different communities and different tastes all the time. And when you think of your own behavior, that's pretty clear that we're not just a, a cookie cutter version of say, in my case, you know, the, the working mom, uh, or what, what have you, we, we, we fall into a lot of different places. Absolutely. Absolutely. I and mean, just because you buy things that are like away luggage or Everlane doesn't mean you're a 25 year old at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was really fabulous. Um, we hope to have you on the show again, uh, at some point, but, uh, really, we really appreciate your insights and I'm sure the work podcast audience will enjoy it as well. So thanks, Anna. Thank you very much, Kathy, for a great conversation. Always a pleasure. If you'd like to read this article, it is in front of the work paywall and it is called Targeting Taste Communities. I really encourage people to read it and get a feeling for why communities are so important and how as brands you can gather more insight from them. To make sure you never miss an episode of the Work Podcast, subscribe to it on your favorite platform. And thanks for listening, everybody.